Well, good morning, Grace. That was a nice hype video, wasn't it? That was good. Well, this, this morning's sermon is entitled, Passing the Baton of Faith. And the goal of the sermon will be to give you God's blueprint for taking the faith that you have and passing it on to others, whether it's your children, your grandchildren, a neighbor, or even a friend. And for those of you who competed in track and field, you understand this title fully. And just out of curiosity, how many of you competed in track and field either in junior high, high school, or college? Wow, lots of you. Good for you guys. I, I played baseball because if you hit it far enough, you could jog. <laughs> but anyway, um, for those of you who were in track, how many of you were on a relay team? Can I see your hands? Wow, lots of you. Okay. So... Those of you who have been on a relay team understand that running fast is only part of a successful team. The key to the entire race is usually won or lost in the baton pass. So without a smooth and efficient pass of the baton from one runner to the next, the race is usually lost. Well, in 2019, at the World Track and Field Championships, China had a great women's relay team who had qualified for the final of the women's 4x100 meter relay. China was in lane two and was expected to challenge for a medal with the United States and Jamaica. However, going into the last exchange from the third runner to the fourth, what happened has now been called the worst baton pass in history. Take a look. Oh man, I was, you know, that's just painful to watch, wasn't it? But how much more painful is it to see a father or mother who has faith in Christ fail to pass the baton of faith to their children or grandchildren and see them reject God? You know, we see examples of this all the time in the Bible. King David was a man after God's own heart, and yet his grandson Rehoboam was an evil man. Samuel, one of the greatest judges of Israel, had sons who didn't even know the Lord, didn't follow the Lord. The priest Eli had sons Hophni and Phinehas. They were ruthless, godless men. Hezekiah's son Manasseh did evil in the eyes of the Lord. The point is, there's no guarantee that just because you trusted Christ as your Savior that your children or grandchildren will follow God. But the good news is that God has given us instructions for this issue. So if you would, take out your Bibles. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where we're going to be reading. And our passage begins in verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Verse 4 begins this way. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. 
Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You know, so the first verse here tells us that there are basically two important instructions to begin with. One is to hear God and one is to love God. You know, the opening line, hear, O Israel, does not simply mean to let sound waves enter your ears. Hear means to allow the words to sink in, provide understanding, and generate a response. But do we take time to listen to God? You know, the, the truth is, research shows that we touch these things 2,617 times a day. Some of you are like, that is not possible. Teenagers are going, I think I'm over that. <laughs> okay? 2,617 times. 75% of Christians sleep with their phone right next to them. So as to always have it there close by. 54% of Christians wake up and look at their phone within three minutes of waking up. Now, if you're, if you're feeling a little bit of guilt... I'm going to let you sit in that for just a moment, okay? <laughs> but we can't hear God because we're drowning out his voice with input, minute after minute, day after day, and week after week, and so on. For up to 18 hours per day, we're sending input into our lives, and we're addicted, honestly, to distraction. We can't hear God because of it. Jim Elliott, the famous missionary to Ecuador, wrote in his diary one night, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What he was talking about was giving his life and time, both of which we cannot keep, to gain eternal life, which we can never lose. You know, time is something that we know is lost each and every day, and yet we waste it listening to anything and everything but God. So this verse says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is called the Shema and is one of the most prayed and revered phrases from Scripture among the Jewish people. But what, is, what does it mean that the Lord is one? It means that he is unified as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's one God in three persons. But I think it also means that the Lord is one. It means that he is the only one like himself. There's no one else like the Lord. And then finally, God is one, meaning as in first order of importance, he is supposed to be the first and most important thing in our lives. But you know, many of us don't take the time to know God deeply or, or to honor him for who he is. You know, Jack has preached many times, has used the verse from James 2.19, which states, you know, you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So let me illustrate it this way. When I was growing up, uh, my family lived near Philadelphia. My dad was a big basketball fan, as I was, and uh, we loved the Philadelphia 76ers. And for several years, he had season tickets to the Sixers. And so I got to go to several games per year. And um, I love Dr. J. Does anybody know who Dr. J is? Julie Serving? Okay. Dr. J was the best, and I thought he was the best. I knew everything. I knew all of his stats. I knew his college stats. I knew where he grew up. I knew everything about Dr. J. He was great. And my dad would sometimes would take me to uh, the game early, and we could stand where the players walked in the tunnel. And, you know, you put out your hand, hoping 
Dr. J never touched my hand. Very sad. Um, but yeah, I thought that I knew Dr. J. But did I really know Dr. J? No, I didn't know him at all. So to know facts about God is not really to know God. To know others who know God is not really knowing God. You personally have to enter into a relationship, a personal relationship with God through his son Jesus, and then commit your life to learning what pleases him and adjusting to your life to his will for you. How many of you have ever used uh, the devotional My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers? Many of you, good. It's a great devotional. If you haven't used it, I encourage you to pick up a copy. But you know, I've read uh, a biography about Oswald Chambers and I've read a lot of his writings. But one sentence convinced me that this man really knew Jesus personally. He said in a letter to his sister, he said, Jenny, I wish that I could preach him the way that I know him. Besides hearing God and knowing God, this verse tells us to love him. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. And what, what does that really mean to love God with our whole heart, our entire soul, and all of our strength? Well, what we translate into English as love here is the Hebrew word ahava. Ahava is not a word about warm, fuzzy, emotional feelings that we often describe love as. To ahava someone is to act in loyalty and fidelity. 1 John 19 tells us we love because he first loved us. So we can say with that Hebrew word, we ahava because God first ahavad us. You know, true love creates a loyalty and fidelity in our hearts, does it not? Any of us in here who is a parent remember the moment when our first baby was handed to us. It's an amazing moment. Author Gary Thomas said that before he was a parent, he was a Christian pacifist, which means he didn't believe that using violence was ever appropriate. But he jokingly said, after my first daughter was born, I knew that if anyone ever hurt her, I would be doing prison ministry from the inside. <laughs> that passion, that loyalty, that fidelity of love is what God is calling us to when he asks us to love him with all of our strength. And this kind of love shows itself in forceful energy and intensity and passion. And I believe that we are called uh, as parents to show that loving strength as well. You know, when my, when my kids were uh, young, we visited a relative um, where I grew up back east. And we were just milling around, having some uh, chit-chat and so forth. And one of my, my kids were little, and one of my daughters found a, uh, some cards and said, oh, Daddy, look at these cards. Well, she handed them to me, and I realized, these aren't playing cards, these are tarot cards. If you don't know what tarot cards are, they're the cards used in kind of occultic divination. So I put them down, and the relative saw me put them down, and she said, oh, well, I'll show her how these work. And I said, no, that's okay. Let's not do that. She said, no, it's really, it's really fun. It's good. And I said, no, I would rather you not do that. She said, no, really, it's okay. I said, listen, if you choose to do this, my family is leaving now. We're leaving. 
your helm if you choose to do this. You know, loving God with all of our strength sometimes means that we bring emotion and passion and energy to protect our families, even if we have to offend others in doing so. God's love for us is not passive. He shepherds us, protects us, watches over us, guides us, encourages us with intensity. He acts in love at all times, and we're to love him with passion and not passivity. So once we have taken time to hear God, know God, love God, then we're ready to pass the baton of faith. So here are the instructions for passing the baton. Three things. One, teach, teach intentionally from God's word. Secondly, talk instructively while sharing life. And then third, tether your identity to Christ. So we're going to talk about the first one first. Teach intentionally from God's word. And let me go back to our Deuteronomy 6 passage. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. The Bible says that as parents, we are to impress God's commands on our children or our grandchildren. The word impress here means to instill something upon the mind of another by frequent instruction and repetition. You're to repeat certain truths from God's word over and over and over again until your kids get it. And then what do you do? Repeat it again. You know, for instance, if your child has a hard time forgiving others, you need to teach God's truth about forgiveness and model that not once, but many times. And you know, as parents, if we're not willing to sacrifice to teach God's word to our children or grandchildren, who, who is, who will? I know that many of you do that, and I praise God for that. So let me illustrate the importance of parent, a parent teaching their child God's truth. Many of you know about King Solomon, right? So somebody tell me, just yell it out, what's one thing you know about King Solomon? Besides that he was king. He had a lot of wives. Is that all we know about Solomon? Yes, wisdom. He was very wise. We know he was wealthy, right? We know he was wealthy. But he was, the Bible tells us, the wisest person who ever lived uh, to date apart from Christ. But do you remember how Solomon became wise? Second Chronicles 1 tells us that God appeared to Solomon, literally gave him a blank check. Verse 7 tells us that it happened this way. That night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Now let's stop right there for a moment. Wow. The God of the universe just said, what do you want? What would you ask for? Solomon answered God, you have shown great kindness to David my father and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked for wealth, riches, or honor, nor the death for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore, wisdom and knowledge will be given you. And... 
I will also give you wealth, riches, and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had, and none after you will have. Remember, Solomon could have asked for anything. So why did he ask for wisdom? Why was that the first thing that came to his mind? Well, the answer we read in Proverbs 4, Solomon is now teaching his sons, and he says this, Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender and an only child of my mother, he taught me and said, lay hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. Do you see what, what's happened here? Solomon was taught by his father David to seek godly wisdom when he was just a little boy. And that little boy grew up and became king. And the one thing he asked for from God was wisdom. He became the wisest man who ever lived, again, apart from the Lord Jesus, all because his father took the time to teach him about God. You know, this is one of the reasons that Stacy and I homeschooled our kids. And I, I want to be clear, I'm a product of public school. I taught in the public school. I now am the superintendent of a Christian school. But that's one of the reasons why we homeschooled our kids and sent them to Christian school. You know, once I was asked by a friend, they said, well, David, you send your kids to a Christian school. Aren't you just sheltering them from the reality? And I said, no. Other schools shelter my kids from the reality of God. That's why I send them to Christian school. So, as a side note, as a superintendent of a Christian school, I've interviewed several teachers from public schools this year, and the stories that they're sharing with me are kind of frightening. One teacher said that her school uh, in Wichita took down the American flag and put up the LGBTQ flag and made all the teachers and kids say a pledge to that flag. She was one of three teachers who did not. I thought one young man I interviewed this spring said it very well. He said, I truly believe that soon my faith in Jesus and my profession may not be compatible. So I would say this, if God is putting on your heart to homeschool your kids or send them to a Christian school, I would encourage you to pray about being obedient to that calling. You know, Jesus said this in Luke 6.40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but anyone who is fully trained will what? Be like his teacher. Your children will become like their teacher, whether that teacher is you or the people you allow them to be in front of. We must teach our children intentionally. Well, second of all, we're to talk instructively while sharing life. The scripture says, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. The word talk here means so much more in the Hebrew context. It encompasses many of the interactions that we have with our children. 
The word means to speak to our children, to, to declare truth to our children, to converse with them, to teach them, to command something of them, to promise something to them, to warn them, even to sing over them. You know, the Bible doesn't say this explicitly in this passage, but I think it's clear that this passage assumes that we are going to be around our children a lot. We're supposed to be able to talk to them when they get up, when they sit at home, when they walk along the road, when they lie down. Well, that's a lot of the day, isn't it? This passage also assumes that we understand how important our words are to our children. Proverbs 18.1 says, The tongue has the power of life and death. You know, I'm in a Bible study right now, and the author of the Bible study said this about Proverbs 18.21. The words spoken to a child will determine their destiny. You know, when I was in seventh grade, my family had moved from Philadelphia to western Colorado, and uh, I was a drummer. And so I was in band. My this, uh, school that I went to, seventh through twelfth grade, was in the same band, and I was a seventh grader, which meant all the older drummers got all the good parts, you know, the trap set, the snare drum. I was usually stuck with the triangle or the cymbals or something. But one day, the older kids were gone, and this was my chance. And our band teacher said, hey, we're going to, uh, we're going to do some spirit songs today. Some... I was like, great. I saw the trap set was open, and I sat right down. It was, this was my shot. And we started playing some uh, spirit songs, and I was just, I, was, I felt like I was Austin Lakey. I really did. <laughs> I thought I was killing it. I was so proud of myself, and all of a sudden, the band teacher just does this, and she stops, and she sighs, and she looks up, and she goes, David Landis, if you're going to play the trap set, would you please learn how first? <laughs> I know. It's been 40 years. It still hurts. <laughs> I mean, that... That is painful. But li parents, listen to this frightening verse for you. Matthew 12, 36, Jesus said this, but I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word that they have spoken. Yikes. How many careless, hurtful, frustrating words have I spoken to my children when I was raising them? Truth be told, I had to ask my children to forgive me hundreds of times for my mistakes. And you know, we can, we can hurt our kids by saying too much. We can also hurt our kids by saying nothing at all. Some parents are too busy to notice what's going on in their kid's life while others are hovering over them. They become that, what do we call it? Helicopter parents. Well, you know, the new term now is not helicopter parents, it's snowplow parents. You know what a snowplow parent is? It's a parent who goes in front of their kid and removes all the obstacles, anything that could be hard for them. They just want to get that out of the way and make sure that that kid, you know, never has to struggle in life. Well, Timothy Keller, great man of God who just passed away, actually, he's in heaven with the Lord now. He said this, he said, as a parent, if everything concerns you or nothing concerns you, then you are immature as a believer in Christ. You see, it takes wisdom to know when to speak to our children and when to let it go. 
So we need to teach intentionally, we need to talk instructively, and then finally we need to tether a child's identity to Jesus Christ. So I'll read this part of this passage one more time. So you're supposed to talk about these commandments when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What, is this, what does this really mean? Are we really to tie scripture to our heads and our hands? As you can see from the slide, some Orthodox Jews do this to this day. But I don't think that we have to physically tie things to our bodies in order to follow this command. I believe the point is to recognize that we use our eyes and our hands to do almost everything we do. So it's important to tie God's word so closely to our hearts that we obey him in everything. Job said this in Job 31, I've, I've made a covenant with my eyes that I might not look lustfully upon a maid. David said in Psalm 24, who may stand in the holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. David also prayed in Psalm 141, set a guard over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. So I think this language symbolically represents how the words of the Shema prayer were meant to guide the vision and action of every moment of life for God's people. And this explains why John says in Revelation 22.4 that when God's people live in intimate proximity with God and the risen Jesus, they will, quote, see God's face and his name will be on their foreheads. You know, this is in contrast to the people who reject Jesus as their savior. In Revelation 13, 16, those who have given their allegiance to the beast, to the Antichrist, have to show their allegiance physically. He, meaning the beast, also forced everyone, small and great, rich or poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand and their forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. So, parents, how do we tether a child's identity to Jesus? Well, I think one of the first things is this. Tell your kids that your family is different because we follow Jesus. We are. We're different. We do things differently. There are things we do or don't do because we follow Christ. And that's okay. And also remind your kids that the only way to enjoy life and to have eternal life is through Jesus. Pray together, read scripture together, sing together. My kids make fun of some of the songs we sang with them. And you know what? My wife and I are not amazing singers, but we do make a joyful noise. But sing with your kids. Always keep God in the front of your minds. Over time, this will tie his word to their hearts and tie your family closer together and make it, make it stronger. Now I wanna close by giving uh, some of you some hope. Some of you may be sitting in here and be like my dad. This next slide is a, a picture of my dad. He's been with the Lord now for almost four years. Um, my dad was not a believer uh, until he was 36 years old and at the time that he became a believer in Christ, it was, it was radical change. But I was basically out of the house before dad was a mature Christian. I mean, he was still learning about 
just the basic things of Christianity by the time I had graduated from high school. But I can tell you this, his life impacted me greatly as an adult. From the time I was 25 until the day he died four years ago, he would, uh, many times I would call him on the phone and he would say, he would pray for me and then he'd say, son, uh, I want you to know how proud I am of you and your faith in Christ, something along that line. So what I want to encourage you with is it's never too late to pass the baton of faith. It's never too late. And along that same line, I want to encourage you that even if you feel way behind, like I don't know enough to pass enough on to my kids and so forth, just get started. Because what I didn't tell you about the Chinese relay team is they finished the race. Now, it wasn't pretty and it wasn't perfect, but they didn't give up. They finished. And by God's grace, we can start today to build God's word and God's truth into those we love. So we say this all the time, Grace, we're the church. Now let's go be the church, amen? Amen, all right, let me pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing us to be adopted into your family, Lord. Lord, you've given us that faith that I know in my own life, my dad passed to me. Um, that I've passed to my sons and now, and daughters, and now, Lord willing, Lord, it will be uh, for my grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren if Jesus doesn't come back. Father, we, we want those we love in heaven with us. We want to bring our, our friends, our, our family members, our neighbors. Allow us, Lord, to take this relationship that we have with Jesus that's so precious to us and allow us to share that with others. And we thank you and commit this day to you and in this week coming in Jesus' name. Amen.